According to Statista, by 2025, we can expect to see a total of 30 billion IoT devices, up 50% from 20 billion in 2020. With such a huge rise in numbers, IoT technology stands to change every corner of our lives. And in this episode, we briefly explore each of these areas, from our toilet to our cars and beyond. To do this, we are joined by an IoT data strategy mastermind from Solis, a company that specializes in the smart movement of data. That's Vanamamalai. Hi, my name's Sam Breakgear, and you're listening to Brainspike Back, your podcast exploring the intersection between psychology and technology. In this episode, we discuss a new disease-detecting precision health toilet that can sense multiple signs of illness through automated urine and stool analysis. Vat shares with us how soon he thinks this will be in all of our homes and references an interesting history fact, citing the date the flushing toilet was invented and how soon it took to be widely adopted. Spoiler alert, it took a while. We also discuss how vertical farming will become more prevalent in the food production industry and potentially our back gardens and how IoT can help cars detect when a tire will puncture before it happens. Additionally, we explore the potential deadly threat of a smart car being hacked. And if you like this episode, some previous episodes of Brains Bite Back you should check out are Building a more efficient, privacy-focused future with smart cities Software that predicts employee burnout through language And last week's episode, Are Fully Autonomous Vehicles Fast Approaching? Now, if you haven't subscribed to Brains Bite Back yet, now is a great time as we have some fantastic episodes coming up in the next few weeks, such as Could the Terminator Ever Become a Reality? The Rise of TikTok, What are the Components of a Successful Social Media Platform? And A Brief History of the Greatest Crypto Hacks and Crimes. But now, on with today's episode. Disclosure. This episode contains a client of an Espacio portfolio company. So, Vats, can you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your experience in the world of IoT, please? Sure. First of all, uh, thanks, Sam, for having me. Uh, yeah, so I have about um, more than 20 years of experience, of which about 15 years in IoT and telecom. So I started uh, with an engineering training in instrumentation and control then followed up with technology management. Uh, so I worked in various uh, manufacturing industries. I uh, started with the petrochemical industry back in India and Reliance uh, industries. So I you know, worked from grassroots uh, level all the way from engineering, you know, design, uh, EPC as they call, engineering, procurement and construction um, operations. Um, basically automation you know, of petrochemical facility uh, from ground zero to operations. So a lot of uh, work there involving sensors for sensing process parameters such as pressure, temperature level, and so on. So I continued in that field for about seven to eight years. Uh, and then I worked for GE Fanuc Automation and then switched into telecom. So I've been in uh, telecom as well for about a decade, largely on edge networks. Um, currently it's uh, being called as 5G, the latest technology and IoT is seeing a very good intersection with 5G as well. Currently, I'm work, working for Solus as a data strategy consultant, focusing on IoT and industrial IoT for you know, various industrial customers of uh, Solus. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining me because it's evident that you have very, very wide and deep uh, technical knowledge that you're going to share with us on today's show. And I'm excited because we're covering IoT And that is something that I think is going to change so many aspects of our lives in so many ways. 
Now, I see a lot of IoT news coming out and uh, reports, and that's really what gets me excited about this. According to a Stanford study report, there is now a disease-detecting precision health toilet that can sense multiple signs of illness through automated urine and stool analysis. Like, How long do you think it will be before this type of IoT technology becomes as commonplace in our homes as smartwatches or smart TVs? Uh, it's interesting. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a very, very uh, niche use case, uh, in my opinion. My gut reaction uh, you know, for that would be uh, it's the number one technology for number two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it is sort of like an extension to personal health monitoring in many respects. So a lot of us use wearables uh, for monitoring our health. And this is a routine that everybody uh, goes through on a daily basis. Uh, many people, you know, tend to trivialize uh, this, but it's got, it's got potential in my opinion. Um, I could perhaps go back to uh, my industrial experience, you know, in this field, you know, if, if you are in manufacturing, let's say, you know, manufacturing process fluids, it's a continuous process manufacturing plant where you have to, from time to time, look at the quality of the fluid, you know, that's being produced. It could be gasoline or vinyl chloride or glycol or whatever, you know, the case may be, mm-hmm. right? So what they do there typically is, uh, usually there are a whole bunch of pipelines crisscrossing the entire, uh, you know, width and breadth of the plant. Typically, they take a feed off of these pipelines where they want to monitor the quality of a particular fluid. It could be a gas, it could be a liquid, it could be even solids moving through or conveyed through uh, air pressure in the pipes. What they usually do is they take a drop off of the pipe into a sampling system and then take the, the quote-unquote, the payload which is the liquid sample in this uh, example, let's say, take it into an online analyzer such as a gas chromatograph or ultraviolet or or a mass spectrometer that is uh, mounted in an analyzer house right within the facility of the plant very near to the pipeline. And the analyzer would feed on the sample, the liquid sample, and they would make the analysis and they'll come up with the result of, you know, so many parts per million of you know, such and such component being present in the, uh, you know, in the sample. That sample could be the finished product of the plant, or the sample could actually be something like a uh, effluent out of the plant for environmental monitoring purposes. So I'm sort of resonating to this particular use case that you bring up, which is in many respects, you know, a taboo, so to speak, uh, in people's mind. But with the right type of a toilet, I think, with the right privacy uh, considerations and even security considerations, you know, within the, you know, private space of the bathroom, I think this technology can be extremely valuable in analyzing uh, the metabolic activity of uh, the person, right? Uh, Regardless of what they consume, of course, it's good to monitor what you consume, but uh, what comes out as an effluent, solid and liquid out of us is more deterministic of what you consumed, as well as what the body uh, is capable of ingest, uh, as well as not able to ingest and digest, so to speak. So a number of different diseases can be detected. Uh, you know, if the right type of sampling system is the... One of the things I'm very about in uh, smart toilets, uh, I've read some of the reports uh, that are out there as well. This is more of a niche use case, uh, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak, but... Um, 
but the so-called passive optical, right, uh, so to speak, are making use of a camera inside a private space of a human being will add more to the stigma that's already associated, uh, you know, with this particular use case. If that was taken out and some kind of an industrial uh, methodology was deployed here to take a drop off of the effluent um, and passing it on to an online analyzer after the human leaves the space. In terms of when it'll see mass adoption, I guess I uh, would point to the technology adoption curve. Um, typically, uh, I think it's an early adopter phase, so to speak, uh, if not even, uh, you know, even in the stages of early majority, uh, right? I mean, depending on, you know, where or which part of the globe this is being deployed in. Given that and how some of the other technologies have evolved, right, with the typical S-curve of a consumer adoption, I mean, it takes a prolonged period of time for something to take off when a radically new concept is introduced uh, for the consumers to get used to and evolve a consumer behavior of adopting that. Uh, and then it takes off. So for example, if you look at the flush toilets, which was introduced in 1860s, it took more than 60 years for the regular toilets that we use for that to be adopted. It wasn't until um, 1920s uh, is when it really took off. And it took like 60 more years for it to completely be adopted in various households. Uh, and that was only in the developed countries, right? And in many developing nations, it's still being adopted. So in my opinion, this is one of those technologies that will see a slower adoption curve of at least 10, if not 20 years. Uh, but that is only with the right type of um, sampling system and right privacy um, enforcements in place. Yeah, I can imagine privacy of data information, everything here is going to be uh, a big hurdle, given the fact that it's a, a very intimate kind of technology there being used in your toilet. And then I like that little um, history fact you dropped in there. I didn't know that about the flush. But um, moving outside of the, the toilet and more into the, the general home space, I'd love to know how do you foresee IT technology changing in our home environments? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I think home automation is one of the, um, one of the largest segments of uh, IoT, so to speak. Um, so if you were to look at um, broader IoT, what you have inside of it is uh, industrial automation, right? which is industrial IoT, so to speak, which is an extension of industrial automation and process control. And then you have home automation and facilities uh, and building automation uh, in general out there for, for the workspace and such. Um, the way I see it is the consumer behavior today, um, I mean, based on the adoption of certain technologies that's already being present, you know, such as smart, you know, smart locks, so to speak, or smart doorbells, smart lights and such, it appears that there is a high propensity for end consumers to adopt some of uh, the technologies that are almost here. Um, you know, things like uh, robotic deliveries uh, and drones will allow for uh, merchants to send merchandise through drones. Uh, and it is being experimented by the likes of Amazon and other retailers. There are things uh, that are also almost here, like the likes of televisions, for example, rollable TVs from LG and Samsung that gets displayed in uh, consumer electronic shows. Voice assistants are here and there, um, but it's uh, 
it, it, I think it's an early uh, adopter phase of the technology adoption, so to speak. But I think that is going to that is going to boom. Um, in other words, it's going to get miniaturized, and more likely, it'll it'll even be sort of like a microphone, not necessarily always attached to a speaker, like how you have Google Home as an example. And then the really energy efficient thermostats are also almost here. Um, by the way, so I sort of categorize the home automation into sort of like out there type of technologies, which will uh, be here in the next five years, perhaps, if not 10 years, um, and then almost here type of a thing, which is where I you know, speak about the robotic deliveries and you know, TVs and voice assistants. One of the extensions uh, that is very likely to happen is the thermostat becoming really smarter, right? So we do have the likes of Nest thermostat, which is able to monitor a temperature and even control the temperature in a particular room. But as it appears, uh, at least in my experience, it doesn't seem to go the distance in terms of making the entire end-to-end -end HVAC unit and the home ventilation system um, and the air quality purification system to be accommodated along with the thermostat, right? So the, again, if I go back to uh, the adoption of certain things in the industries, right? Temperature control is a very, very common uh, feedback loop control that they have to deploy for maintaining the temperature of a solid liquid or gas that's being produced in an industry. Uh, usually the way that works is you measure temperature and then you open or close a valve to let the steam in to increase the temperature or to let a refrigerant in or a cool air in to cool you know, the process space. It could be liquid, it could be a furnace, it could be a reactor uh, or whatever it is. Right? That's the simplest form of control. Uh, a lot of the home automation seems to be getting, getting cues from the automation technologies that have been deployed in the industry for over 40 years. And typically, when you look at a holistic process, for example, if you want to maintain the quality of a product coming out of a cracker furnace in a refinery, as an example, or let's say you want to control the entire gas turbine um, in a power plant, in a natural gas power plant, so to speak. You have to, in tandem, monitor various process parameters. Obviously, there'll be tens of sensors deployed, uh, mounted on that piece of equipment. All of these will have to have its own controllers. So the typical logic is you measure something, you take it into a controller. It'll be usually what they call as a proportional integral and derivative type of a controller, which is what's sort of deployed within the Nest thermostat, so to speak. That basically takes in a set point for a process variable, such as temperature, to say maintain the temperature at 70 degrees. And then it'll appropriately, the controller will appropriately open or close a valve to maintain the temperature at 70 degrees. And imagine you're having to do this for five parameters, whether in the process plant or in the home. You have to have five actuators, right? So for air quality, you know, you need to actuate the ventilation systems appropriately. For temperature, you have to let the hot air to come in or the cool air to come in. Accordingly, you would switch on the compressor outside the home or switch on the heat inside the home and so on, right? So there could be controls, you know, for maintaining, let's say the lighting conditions or 
whatever it is, right? Right. So it could be even maintaining the temperature of water in the shower, you know, as an example. I think all of these technologies are converging. Uh, and I think that a holistic, um, sort of like a home controller of sorts, which will sort of watchdog all of the process parameters inside the home. Uh, and it's almost here, uh, you know, from Google and other players in the industry. Uh, yeah, so what I think as sort of like out there type of uh, technology, I think one of the things that, uh, that Google is working on is uh, searching the physical space. Obviously, we all know Google is uh, super good in searching the digital space uh, on the internet and making information available in a collated fashion and in a precise fashion, regardless of whether you do the typing uh, in through a keyboard or through a voice query. But given the adoption of uh, some of the devices such as voice assistants in home and the fact that there could be a potential for a passive optical or some kind of a, a camera being present in, uh, in public spaces within the home, not as much in the bedroom or in the bathroom, um, it is uh, perceivable that there already is technology where physical things can be collated and made available, particularly things that we tend to lose uh, sight of often. We want to know where I kept what uh, in the house type of a thing. Uh, I think that's made possible also with Amazon's um, technology. I forget the name of the store they have where you can walk in. Um, there are no clerks in the store for checking you out. You can just drop things uh, into your shopping basket and you can just walk out of the store. Uh, there are a whole bunch of cameras absolutely uh, that's monitoring the consumer as they are shopping. Um, and then obviously there is machine learning algorithm behind the scenes that's inferencing on what's being put, pushed into the cart and what's being taken uh, out of the quote unquote a checkout uh, kiosk, so to speak, without the clerk uh, in space. Similar kind of a technology could be here anytime. And I also feel that um, drones, um, inside the home for security and monitoring. Uh, although Amazon introduced, um, I think one of their products as an extension to their ring doorbell, I guess, for security monitoring. I think that could be, uh, that could come handy when you have micro drones and nano drones, sort of like swarms of drones um, that, can be, that can be deployed to index the information, uh, the physical information inside the home. That way you are able to find, you know, where things are. It, there could even be an interface, you know, on the wall where you can type in and ask for Google, where did I keep my keychain, where is my wallet or where is whatever. And that's um, not outlandish to think that that is uh, coming. Um, the other I think is uh, the extension of the self-driving car uh, technologies into the home. Um, what I mean by that is, if you, if you think of a self-driving car, it's basically a robot on wheels or a computer on wheels, except it has a lot of uh, sensory perception around the environment it's navigating in. So I can imagine uh, today's uh, technologies where you have some kind of a AI or machine learning being embedded into your refrigerator um, you know, for ordering groceries or into your microwave and into your toasters and, you know, various uh, appliances within the home. 
whether supplementary to that or complementary or instead of that, that could be humanoid home robots that could come in where you have a centralized intelligence. The robot itself has all the algos that it's trained in to know not only uh, what tasks to do, you know, take stuff out of the microwave, uh, you know, put it on the dinner table, fold clothes, uh, you know, iron your clothes, robotic lawn mowers, you know, whatever, right? Kitchen uh, robotic arms for making a fantastic coffee as you see some of the robotic arms in certain uh, coffee shops out there. All of these are very possible. All it is is basically an extension of um, self-driving cars with passive optical capabilities in public space within the home and organizing that information and training the AI model that can be embedded into the robot so it can do certain defined uh, narrow AI tasks within the home. I think that's uh, very possible. I'm pretty uh, confident that companies like Tesla and Honda and Toyota who are who are generally very good in you know these types of technologies will uh, you know uh, will bring products into the home you know along those lines. Um, but as an extension to the smart toilet you mentioned, I also feel that sort of supplementary to analyzing what comes out of the human body. Again, taking advantage of the passive optical, and even things like uh, detecting somebody's mood based on how they speak, so uh, you know, so to speak can also be possible by embedding microphones and you know, simple cameras that can be fed to ML algorithms behind the scenes to get a better sense of, or, or to sort of predict what might happen, you know, type of thing in terms of somebody's health. Um, but otherwise uh, in the garden, I think vertical farming and drip irrigation is already out there uh, from a commercial point of view. People are talking about it. Uh, I think Deep Roots is one of the companies that's working on vertical farming inside containers. I think they have a bunch of containers in Brooklyn or something where they do uh, drip irrigation and artificial sunlight inside of these containers. And, and other things such as um, even digital twins, right? So again, an extension of things that happen in the manufacturing space where you have uh, digital twins that sort of mimic a replica of a physical piece of a compressor or machinery, so to speak, with IoT data not only feeding information from the physical machinery to analytics, but it also feeds to a real-time model that people can look at on the digital replica of the piece of machinery. So since we have pieces of machinery at home, like dishwashers, uh, you know, microwave ovens and uh, washers and dryers and lawnmowers and so on, you know, any maintenance that has to be performed, let's say by a remote technician, Somebody could offer like LG or Samsung, for example, could offer the whole thing as a service versus us having to purchase some of these equipment because they will have a physical, I'm sorry, a digital replica of whatever is running in your home. And they would with the IoT sensors be able to exactly troubleshoot what's going on. And with AR and VR technology may also allow us to remotely troubleshoot while uh, a technician could be guiding us while we are watching, watching through our VR glasses into our dishwasher or whatever to, to troubleshoot. I, I think these are all out there types of technologies that are absolutely pretty prevalent in the manufacturing industry, but it's a question of time before which it shows up in the home. Hopefully you're enjoying the show. And if you are, make sure you subscribe and never miss an episode. 
You can find us on all your usual podcast sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Podcast Addict, and a whole lot more, including YouTube. And we want to hear what you think, so be sure to leave us a review. Just search Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it seems like the possibilities here are endless. I mean, you've touched on so many topics which I hadn't even considered or I just heard a, a small amount of, about in the past and I would love to explore more in future episodes. You actually also touched on some topics from previous episodes as well. Like, for example, you mentioned about voice recognition software kind of being able to identify health problems within the voice. We, we did an episode on predicting uh, suicide through AI just by it listening and detecting to a person's voice. That was a really interesting episode. Obviously, again, there are issues ethically there. And also you mentioned about cars and that was for a very recent episode, The Focus. And we were looking at how soon we'll be using AI cars and uh, autonomous vehicles in our lives. And that's something that I would love to touch on next because I know that IoT technology is becoming more prevalent within cars. How do you think that IoT technology stands to, to impact cars? And I'm not just talking about like autonomous vehicles. I'm talking about like technology perhaps within the car. Uh, sure. Yeah, with IoT, so self-driving aside, you know, just from a perspective of uh, car ownership, so to speak, um, there are a couple of things to consider. One is condition monitoring of the car. So a number of these sensors, as they are getting more and more miniaturized, and also some of these technologies uh, of the cars evolving into an electric vehicle or a battery electric vehicle type of a technology, the number of moving parts in the car has come down by a couple of orders of magnitude. To that end, uh, embedding some of these sensors in whatever number of uh, minimal moving parts there are in a battery electric vehicle, you know, such as in tires, or even monitoring the refrigerant temperature, uh, so to speak, or um, you know, automating the windshield and so on and so forth. A uh, lot of these things can be predictive, uh, can go through, again, um, what they otherwise do in the industry around predictive maintenance. So if you are an owner of a car, It'll be great for us to understand before a failure of a wiper uh, happens or before the failure or before a tire is going to get punctured, right? So all, all of these things in the physical world takes time, you know, to manifest the problem in the real world. Even the puncturing of a tire, uh, it goes through, you know, a certain amount of time. From a human point of view, that's a very short time. You know, a nail goes into the tire and gets punctured and you know, we, we have to get it fixed. But from a perspective of the sensors, it can look into the tires of physical characteristics, whether it is pressure or temperature of air inside the tire and so on in real time, and can sense nano changes and micro changes in pressure, so to speak, and alert us so you know, the passenger can pull the car over you know, uh, safely. So a lot of these condition-based maintenance and predictive maintenance in the car is very possible with, uh, with a lot of these sensors being not only miniaturized, but also hooked into the Wi-Fi of the car. A lot of uh, cars uh, nowadays, particularly the smart cars, re again, regardless of them being driverless or whatever level they are in between level one and five, uh, have internet connectivity or backhaul connectivity into the car, a SIM card being embedded into the car. 
for example, I have uh, a Volkswagen car that, ha that comes with a T-Mobile um, you know, SIM card built in. I happen to not use that, but you could, you could always use that backhaul and sort of connect the entire uh, suite of sensors in the car to a centralized monitoring service that somebody can provide. It could be the dealer or it could be just a car manufacturer, so to speak. So that is one thing I think that is uh, imminently very possible because of convergence of lots of these technologies, particularly with internet being made ubiquitous and mobile. And the other, I think, a couple of others, I think, one is around sort of related is car insurance. Just because you're able to monitor the condition of the car, the insurance um, premiums can appropriately be applied you know, to the car, so to speak. So there's a lot of insurance possibilities uh, as well as even current insurance companies are offering it. I suppose I don't particularly use any of those, but if you combine all of this with a self-driving car, I think it takes the whole equation to a very uh, new level. I don't know if you want to talk about um, you know, that part, but um, yeah, I'll be happy to touch on a few things, how even condition-based maintenance uh, can affect the user experience within the car and insurance, uh, and even things like Airbnb on wheels. So there's a number of possibilities with self-driving cars that are still actually left to the realm of imagination of the end user, so to speak. Uh, Tesla and Google Waymo are making a lot of strides along those lines, but I'd say, I think we are still scratching this, uh, just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. We kind of covered some of these topics, the topics that you mentioned in our previous episode, especially when it came to like insurance and um, automation. But one thing that we didn't cover was security. And I would love to go over it with you because in a Medium article by HackerNoon.com, they state that, as is the case with all modern technological advancements, concerns over hackers gaining access to systems have come to the forefront of many people's minds as compromising the safety and privacy of drivers could have catastrophic results. Do you foresee smart cars being hacked as a potential threat? And if so, what could a hack look like or what could a hacker do? Yeah, I think it's a very credible threat. And I think it's one of the two major concerns in my mind, one being privacy, the other one being cybersecurity. Particularly when you have uh, cars that are on public internet and many cars are quote unquote always on, so to speak. Uh, I think this threat is very credible. Um, I sort of was reading one of the uh, McKinsey reports, I think, that speaks to about you know, 95% of cyber breaches, it says, are because of human error. So in smart cars, um, the end consumer has a uh, little less to do with the human error angle, but human error uh, is very possible, you know, from a manufacturer's perspective. So I, I still do believe that 95% of cybersecurity breaches can be eliminated regardless of where the thing is in the internet of thing, whether it's a car or a device or even a piece of a mobile phone, uh, it can be eliminated. However, um, you know, given, the, given the explosion in the number of devices, something like 75 billion connected devices and, and the real credible fact that people are spending 
around $6 trillion or something in cybersecurity, uh, which is what's expected to be spent in 2021. Uh, I think uh, appropriate measures have to be taken to, to prevent remote hijack you know, type of scenarios so to speak, uh, or uh, fatal accidents, uh, you know, by somebody remotely locking the wheel or, you know, locking the steering or disabling the brakes, or even, uh, you know, silly things such as, since most cars have a higher level operating system in them, such as in, in Tesla, as well as in, you know, Apple car and Android car, you know, type of scenarios, it's very perceivable uh, that like any other devices subject to spyware or malware type of attacks, it's very possible that cars will be subject to the same types of attacks. So uh, appropriate measures will have to be taken. Uh, I think that's one single major issue in consumers' minds in making the car always on, so to speak. And in the adoption of uh, connected cars or smart cars, I think that will be one of the major ones. And the other being privacy, of course. Yeah, I can imagine someone hacking your car would probably be one of the, the scariest things that could, uh, could happen to you of all the things to be hacked. But I want to ask you one final question. Do you have any concerns other than cars regarding the prevalence of IoT technology in our lives? Um, no, I think um, with any technology, it's fundamental intent, IoT's fundamental intent, like any other technology, is to enhance uh, human welfare. Um, so that's the main, or human well-being, so to speak. As long as uh, the technology is being used in moderation, uh, so to speak, and we consciously uh, take measures to beef up security and appropriately not overindulge uh, in any piece of technology for that matter in a compulsive way, then there isn't any problem, uh, right? This is like any other technology. Uh, this is particularly, uh, in my opinion, a fantastic uh, times to be in where many technologies are converging along with IoT uh, behind the scenes with machine learning and uh, you know, quantum compute capabilities uh, you know, for faster insights. So anything that enhances human well-being is all good. Uh, but I do know on the flip side, um, I do know that there are technology de-addiction centers uh, as I'm uh, learning about it. Um, I'm not particularly as addicted to any technology, but uh, as long as there is no compulsive usage and privacy and security statutes as well as considerations are in place, um, I mean, this is a beautiful thing in my opinion. And I'm not saying this just because um, of vested interest being working in this field, but I, I fundamentally think connecting things is, is almost an inevitability in the evolution of the internet. No, I have to agree. And I have to say that you're right. I think we're living in some very exciting times and I think there are brighter days ahead and I look forward to, to seeing what we produce. Now, that's if people want to get in contact with you or reach out to you or follow you at all, how can they do that? What's their best way of staying in contact or following you? Yeah, I'm on uh, social media uh, under uh, handle that's ID, V-A-T-S-I, DS in Denmark. That's ID, one single word on LinkedIn, uh, likewise on Facebook. On Twitter, uh, my handle got a little complicated um, thanks to a hack attack that happened on my handle that's ID. So recently I've had to change it. 
Um, I can provide you with that. I sort of have to look it up if you don't mind. It's a little bit of a convoluted handle. <laughs> That's okay. No worries. Yeah, send it over and maybe we can uh, add a link to it in um, the podcast description. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today, Vats. All right. Thanks a lot for having me. Much appreciated, Sam. Growing a company has many hurdles, from securing funding to expanding your business capabilities to ranking better on search. Each business challenge is uniquely complex. The solution to these challenges is growth-focused digital PR and marketing, and that is where our sponsor, Publicize, comes in. Publicize sets itself apart from traditional PR companies. It doesn't charge large retainers or churns out press releases whether you've got a newsworthy announcement or not. Publicize builds your business's online presence and gets high-quality PR and media coverage for startups and entrepreneurs who are priced out of a broken PR industry. And for a limited time only, exclusive to Brains Bike Back listeners, you can receive an SEO assessment as part of your package for any tier of service at no extra charge with this special promotion. To find out more, visit publicize.co slash BBB. That's publicize.co slash BBB. This is the end of today's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this and you want to hear more episodes just like it, then follow and subscribe to Brains Bite Back wherever you get your podcasts. We're also available on YouTube under the channel of our publication, The Sociable. Just search Brains Bite Back and you'll find all of our episodes there. We really love hearing what you have to say. So leave us a review on iTunes or on any other podcasting platform to let us know what you think. You can also reach out on Twitter at, at The Sociable. And finally, go to sociable.co where you can find all our episodes and plenty of articles on topics just like this. Thanks again for joining us and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. Stay healthy.